Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. In a little more than 60 days, every time a patient is admitted, discharged, or transferred, hospitals across the country will be required to send an electronic notification to the patient's primary care physician, as well as to all other healthcare providers that are involved in that patient's care. This admittance, discharge, and transfer notice requirement, or ADT, notice requirement will be included in CMS's conditions of participation and as part of the government's broader interoperability policies. That's 60 days. So questions, why this requirement? And more importantly, how are hospitals supposed to do it? We are happy to have on our show this week, Scott Stewie, president and CEO of Direct Trust. Not only is Scott going to walk us through the ADT notice requirements, He'll also tell us about an exciting development that's going to be announced for the first time on this show. Scott's announcement will be a terrific help in getting hospitals to not only fulfill the requirements of the ADT notice, but also will assist providers and patients alike in getting the most from this government mandate. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments, Z-E-L-I-S. Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for WEDI. That's W-E-D-I. WEDI is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. And as I've said, we're excited to have President and CEO of Direct Trust, Scott Stewie, Great to have you on our show, Scott. Uh, perfect time to have you here with this ADT rule looming, and we're very excited you chose uh, this podcast to make your announcement. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. And this is—I think—we're really excited about this uh, this activity. And I mean, imagine if you will—you know—you're a you're a patient, and your provider reaches out to you after you discharge from the hospital and checks in on your well-being. And how does that make you feel? How does that does that help you feel like you're gonna that you've been well cared for? And if you're a provider um, and you you have a patient that has been discharged or admitted recently, uh, getting that notification from that other provider, you know, how does it make you feel that you can then uh, do the right thing for your patient, reach out to them, make sure that they're getting the care they need? I mean, that's I think the 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 fundamental motivation for the uh, for this for this rule, CMS. Uh, isn't doing this just for their own uh, for their own good or for the good of the uh, of the uh, of the EHR company uh, companies that might have to implement these capabilities? They're really doing this for the patients' uh, benefit. So uh, we're really excited about about this rule and and the industry's response to it. Very good. So so um, uh, maybe back up a little bit for us and tell us what is the state of the uh, state of of the union right now. Uh, what happens now when uh, somebody gets out of a hospital or if they're transferred to another facility? It, isn't some kind of notice already given? Well, uh, not electronically generally. I mean, there are some of these notifications are already in use. Uh, so there, there is some notification already taking place. There are companies that do this for a business um, that have enabled this capability uh, but it's not widespread. In some localities, it's pretty common and actually pretty uh, pretty complete. 
but across the across the country, you, I think it's it's probably not, um, you know, my my sense is that it's probably not above, uh, you know, into double digits yet. So it's a pretty small level of adoption so far, um, and the goal is to try and get this to be absolutely ubiquitous. I still think the majority of the communication that happens about um, about patient care is happening by phone, and and um, and that is you know pretty slow, and also takes people out of their workflow entirely. So the the benefit of these notifications are they they flow to the provider where they are working, where you know in their electronic health record system, uh, get to them where they're where they're working all the time, and then um, that is not I don't think um, it, it while while it's not uncommon, it's not nowhere near ubiquitous. Um, the other thing about it is that it's it's different everywhere. The the mechanism, uh, the the payload that's communicated, and and the actual outcome when the message is received by the receiving system varies really radically from system to system. So that's that's kind of the state of the art. I I think that's interesting, and I, and I'll just speak from my own you know history with you know. Sometimes my children have gone in for things, and certainly I've gone in for things, and 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 it could be that my primary physician heard about it or was told about it or got a phone call or something about it, right? But um, I usually have to explain the whole thing again when I show up for my primary care uh, yes. appointments, and I usually don't even remember what what happened exactly, right? So this should it should cut cut away on inefficiencies and and, dis, and bad information too, right? Well, exactly. I think that uh, you know these notifications actually are relatively little information. They're really just saying that the patient has has discharged, for example. But they might also contain information that tells you where they discharged to. So that that tells you whether or not you are really interested in reaching out to them or not. I mean, uh, the difference between a patient who is discharged to home versus one who's discharged to hospice is obviously. Right, quite critical to understand. So that's that's the kind of information that'll be present in this in these notifications as well. Very good. So talk to us a little bit about what the the rule says. Uh, does the rule say you know what kind of uh, electro how that needs to be sent? Whether it has to be sent email or text or. Well, and, and I you know a person's attitude about this might vary, but it, it was very open ended. It, it basically. Uh, describe the what, but not the how in any way. So it didn't stipulate a, a, a standard. Uh, it did say that uh, to qualify or to be re- to to require to be required to do this, you had to be an organization that could support a certain level of uh, HL7 uh, messaging around your your admins, transfers, and discharges. But they didn't actually stipulate that that's what messages needed to be sent. Uh, they actually were explicitly silent on how. Um, and so um, the industry kind of needed to um, uh, to develop a, a response to that, to that open-endedness, to that uh, to the vagaries of, of, of that of that uh, rule. Okay, very good. and and did the did the industry respond? Does the industry have an idea of where they're going? Well, you know, here's what happened, and it's it's very interesting that um, in July of last year, I got a couple of different phone calls, one from a company that is an electronic health record, fundamentally a hospital electronic health record system that uh, was concerned that there was no uh, guidance around this and no standardization, no agreement. Um, and so um, that was really important to kind of get established. So one 
one sender reached out to me, but at the same time and completely independently, uh, literally a week apart, another company that is uh, an ambulatory electronic health record system that you could fundamentally call a be called a receiver because they're going to have primary care providers that would be, uh, you know, uh, the, the likely receivers. Both reached out to me, and the the questions were different, right? So for the sender, they wanted to have something that they could offer their clients that wouldn't mean that they would necessarily have to buy something new. So that was uh, that that was the one thing. Um, for the uh, receivers, they wanted to understand that uh, they would be able to know enough about what the messages contained that they would be able to activate different workflows and uh, behave differently because there was concern that as a receiver, they would get these new transactions and not know, uh, be able to tell them from the other transactions they get via direct secure messaging. So that I think was their request. So um, that brought us together. Basically, we've then uh, cast a really wide net uh, basically, 32 companies came and 60-some uh, participants, and we started a consensus body around uh, discussing exactly what these transactions should look like and how they should work. And um, in relatively short order, really basically six months, uh, we were able to kind of uh, come to, um, to broad consensus about how this stuff uh, should work. Um, so the the... Uh, we call it a consensus body. Consensus bodies don't always land in consensus. Sometimes they land a bit split decision. But this was a very broad consensus of virtually the entire community of electronic health record systems and the people who operate the networks that op that uh, send the messages back and forth. Very good. And and is there and and with that consensus, can you tell us a little bit about? what that consensus was, what, what they landed on. And what's incredible, right, is that you did get consensus from a diverse uh, uh, diverse spread of stakeholders, right? Well, right, not to, to uh, get too much into the detail, but basically what we decided to do is to take uh, much of what they already had available to them. So first off, the direct standard, direct secure messaging as transport was uh, was a given. That's what they... What, frankly, is already out there, we have uh, already uh, 2.5 million uh, connected parties in the healthcare ecosystem that can do direct secure messaging with each other. All of the electronic health record systems that are certified to, you know, under the meaningful use program are, um, are able to do this. And so that was the first thing. But then also other aspects of, of their existing capabilities were um, incorporated. So... Uh, we included the the capabilities that are currently available for some EHRs to communicate what I'd call context, which is that information about uh, what uh, what is the purpose of this message and who is it about. That's that's the key information that allows the receiver to do something special with it. We took the current capabilities and married it with uh, with a simple mechanism for uh, those who don't have a current capability to also uh, send and receive that same context. And so that's the key elements we did, uh, as well as to settle on the, we, we actually uh, accepted the HL7 V2 message, which is the, um, the what, what is typically sent between systems in, a, like in, a, um, in an enterprise, in a healthcare enterprise, that uh, ADT message is also going into our direct message, in addition to uh, some plain text information about the, about the notification. So, uh, the goal is to try and make it so that any sender 
uh, can get it to any receiver and every receiver will be able to make sense of it. That's the goal. Very good. So what I'm hearing is it, you got a group together and um, they decided on a standard, right? A, a particular uh, mode of format, uh, direct. And then you did, I don't know, operating rules or implementation rules that um, kind of like add on. So here, here's the, the basics. This answers the, the basic compliance requirements of, of the, the regulation. And then you also came up with added on things that, that adds kind of value maybe to that, that whole transaction. Yeah, I think we mostly really wanted to focus on the things that would get people successful uh, with the conditions of participation, but we did add a few things. Uh, the elements that are included that are not actually technically a part of what's required for the conditions of participation, including includes information about, um, you know, the insurance the patient has, the um, uh, the um, uh, the diagnosis the patient are, is discharged with, as well as that discharge disposition I was describing. Those elements we see as essential uh, to route to the right person in the HR, as well as to allow for routing in intermediaries that might be a part of this story that, that might get the notification and then send it on to someone else who's interested in it, like a payer. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. So you actually kind of broadened or, or had the op given the opportunity for any one of the players or any of those that are required to, to be a part of this, this chain, right, or this notice, to actually send it on to a, a, somebody else that is also in, involved in the patient's care. Is that right? Right. Well, in fact, what we have in our consensus body is what I would call three distinct groups. We have the, the folks who are, who are primarily senders and actually have some that are, that are senders and receivers. We've got receivers and we've got these intermediaries, several companies that operate, and some of those actually also are senders or, and or receivers, but those intermediary companies that were already doing this business, um, they frequently serve those payer uh, players. And so being able to use the same transaction to drive the value that those uh, third parties uh, or um, uh, those intermediary players are, uh, are providing that was uh, was a part part and parcel of what we're trying to accomplish, and that had to do with who was engaged, right? So it was all three groups were present in the in the discussion, right? And, and Scott, you've kind of touched on this in places, but uh, what would you say to somebody who said, "Hey, you know, it's it's we, we like the regulation like it was. We like the freedom to use any kind of standard or any kind of what you know. We like the loosey goosiness of the of the regulation." What would you just say to somebody to say, well, that's all good, but uh, uh, what what value is added with a standard? You know, I I have to tell you, I haven't found anybody who feels that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Good. <laughs> really, I think that there are a few people who, a few organizations who are doing something on their own, who I think are now considering, uh, you know, reconsidering their thoughts because uh, they they realize the value proposition of not contributing to additional burden on the receiving end. And so they're, I think, really wanting to be a part of the of the process. So um, so I, I think, I mean, the, the value, when you think about standards in general, I mean, people, um, uh, the, the, the simple analogy for standards is that the people like to use is concrete blocks, right? So if, if you, you're building a house and you order a pallet of concrete blocks and you start stacking up concrete blocks and you run out, you go out and get some more from, and the first place doesn't have any more, and you can get them from another place, and that will still mean that you get this. You, you can stack them right on top of the others. And that's that's what interoperability is all about. It's it's about 
agreeing to do things the same way so that it's plug and play, that you can you can basically pick one solution up and connect it to another. And that, you know, that commonality is really important for interoperability. Standards are at the core of what makes interoperability work. Good. And and you are, you know, I, I was playing devil's advocate there because you are speaking my language. I always think of, you know, standards with standards, you can conquer the world. And, and you look at the, the Romans, right, who were absolutely standardized everything across the empire. And one of the things they standardized was the length of their, the, the width of their roads. Right, yeah. right. And they had very specific standards about how 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 wide it should be. So every country they they conquered, they they standardized the roads and that got their armies moving very quickly and it got their markets moving very quickly and their goods and their services. And and suddenly you had an empire. Mm -hmm. So there's something to be said for standards, I think. Yes, indeed. Uh, so do you, you do have a, a big announcement. Are you, are you ready to make that announcement? Or are we are we have uh, the time yeah, in the show? You know, so uh, actually just uh, just literally this week, we are announcing the publication of a um, of a uh, of a draft standard for trial use for this notifications work that we've done. So um, that that work uh, actually as as a result of that consensus I described, that publication means that we're getting ready to um, in April, Get people together to um, to do an adoptathon to get uh, people trying and connect all this stuff up. And I've described what we've got in mind as a bit of a uh, as a bit of a uh, of a of a dance marathon, if you will. Not so much of a uh, of a of a dance where you bring your own partner, but where you actually come uh, with prepared to dance with anybody who's there. <laughs> and um, so that I think is going to be really interesting and uh, and quite a challenge because. There are multiple uh, stages in a uh, in this in the communication here. There's a there's the sending system that is an EHR. Then in our environment, the uh, direct uh, secure messaging is supported by uh, what they call HISPs, which are basically the organizations that uh, perform uh, the the sending and receiving for the for the EHR companies. And then sometimes there's these intermediaries in the middle. So. You actually have sort of a string of pearls here where there's like, uh, you know, possibly as many as five hops before it gets from place to place. Um, now, the 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 basic hop is really just from hisp to hisp. Like each of those, the goal is to try and get to um, that common message that everybody can exchange that contains the necessary payload and also that necessary context so the receiver can do the right thing, can uh, can enact the right workflow, can route it to the right person. That's So that we're really excited about that. That's um, literally happened this week. So we're really excited about that news. It's, uh, it's gonna be out on our website, uh, directtrust.org. Um, so uh, we're really excited for folks to, to check out the implementation guide, which literally lays out what it is that's required to um, adopt this uh, this standard that is uh, that is developing. It's a draft standard uh, for trial use, which we hope to harden into an ANSI standard yet this year. Very good. Well, that's very exciting, and I think it's going to be exciting uh, for many people in the industry, especially since they're we're down to about sixty days before they have to actually implement this. So uh, I think this is great. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Scott Stewie, President and CEO of Direct Trust. And when we come back, I do want to ask him a little bit more about what Direct Trust does and, and what its goals are. For now, let's take a quick break and hear from our producer, Michael McNutt. The preeminent national membership association for health IT guidance and collaboration 
Weedy has earned the title of being an instrumental force in engaging public and private partnerships, facilitating discussions, and providing a collaborative voice as a national healthcare advisor to provide meaningful changes for the American healthcare system. Become a member and provide national leadership that enhances the exchange of clinical and administrative healthcare information. Join one of our various work groups where Weedy members collect input, exchange ideas, and make recommendations that inspire impactful and far-reaching change in our industry. Learn more about how you can make a difference at Weedy.org. We're back and we're talking to Scott Stewie, president and CEO of Direct Trust. Uh, and Scott, when we left off, uh, we were talking about this announcement that you made and uh, you, you come up with a standard and implementation guide uh, for the ADT notice. Um, so is this going to be required? Is this, is this part of the CMS requirements? Well, the notifications um, are obligations on the senders. So all of the hospitals have to have to send uh, an event notification when a discharge or a, or a, a um a discharge or an admission takes place uh, to uh, two downstream providers that have either expressed an interest or those that might make sense for whatever reason. So the referring provider, for example. So that's an obligation under the conditions of participation for Medicare. Uh, so it's it is um, it's absolutely an obligation for the sender. Now, uh, it it isn't necessarily an obligation for them to do it according to RIG. I mean, so that's uh, this is kind of the nature of the. Um, of the standards world. I mean, the goal is to try and get as many of the parties involved from the, from the um, industry to agree upon what it is they're going to do um, so that uh, so that government doesn't have to come in and say, thou shalt do it the following way. <laughs> I mean, so it's, it's pretty useful if industry can figure that out on their own, uh, because then they can kind of, um, they can take the path that makes the most sense to them. Um, so, uh, CMS provided that uh, flexibility in, in the rule. It was not, there was no explicit uh, requirements around the how, only the what. Okay, Scott, good. That, 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 that's a good description. So is the idea then that, uh, and I, I think that's a great, you know, balancing of government and, and private enterprise coming up with, you know, solutions for, for greater efficiency and moving data back and forth, right? The, the basic requirement put out by the government and then have the industry come up with exactly how they're going to do that. Um, so the idea is maybe industry is going to coalesce uh, and theoretically they'll coalesce around this standard and your implementation uh, guide. Uh, at, a, at some point, does then CMS require that implementation guide? Is that something we that industry would even want or does that take away some kind of flexibility? You know, it's a good question. I mean, there's a balance here for sure. Uh, you know, I look at the things in the in in past, and I would I would describe this as a, you know, when you're trying to get things to be adopted, um, you know, a hundred percent, or you don't want you you believe it's valuable for absolutely everybody to do something. For example, um, I would call uh, examples here to to be uh, e-prescribing. For example, the government had a goal to try and get everybody e-prescribing. Uh, direct was also a, an obligation under uh, under uh, under the meaningful use uh, realms too. So both of those efforts uh, took about seven years to get to a real broad adoption, and a, and for you know for e-prescribing, it took a full ten years to get to the point where pretty much everybody was using and and appreciating it. Um, at at this point, direct is at the point where practically everybody has it, but usage is uh, is not is not as 
as high as it could be on that existing network. So um, I think that the benefit of, of requiring things is there is something good about absolutely requiring uh, things because it does get things done. And, and so uh, including them in regulation does make sense. Now, there are sometimes unintended consequences with regulation, and that's the issue I would have, is that sometimes uh, when you require something, only what is required is done. Uh, so that's the concern I would have, is that uh, if you, for instance, require uh, folks to send things, but there's no obligation for the receivers to do anything, uh, that can be a real challenge. And so that's... Um, that's the reason why I think the, we're, the industry is really trying to focus on both senders and receivers in this standard so that if we don't, do get it adopted, it'll get taken in that way. Very interesting. Uh, very interesting. And it sounds like this is a good balance, at least for this particular aspect. This will give a couple of years for the, the, the industry to coalesce around it and um, you know, see if there's anything new or fangled that comes out of the work, give them a new process to work on, and then uh, maybe in a couple of years, uh, go ahead and mandate it to get the, you know, the 30 percent out there or whoever that aren't using it to, to come fully on board. That sounds like the, the strategy there, right? Might very well happen that way. Very good. So let's back up a little bit, uh, Scott, and talk to me a little bit more about uh, Direct Trust, your president and CEO. So t tell us more about this body and, and what your what your vision is with this body. Well, uh, Direct Trust is a is a membership organization of uh, some hundred members um, about 40 of which are the ones that operate the network that uh, that communicates direct secure messaging. And so those uh, those 40 or so organizations that are responsible for uh, doing the work of issuing the certificates and uh, actually uh, moving the traffic in the network, um, they are the the, the the accredited members. That 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 accredited group of members are represent the trust framework that we that we. Um, that we support. So um, having each of the members accredited means that we know that everybody is uh, abiding by the same rules of the road. They're using the same technical standards. They're using the same um, processes and uh, and practices. And that's so that so the the, the third thing we are is this uh, standards body. So that's relatively new, although we've been a standard uh, development activity for years. The direct project was the pr predecessor of direct trust uh, but the direct project uh, did some uh, basically developed the direct standard back in like 2012 uh, but um, the uh, the work uh, of the direct standard it continues you need to you know maintain a standard bring it forward so um, actually the ONC had a desire for the direct standard to live in a in an ANSI accredited SDO. And so we became a standards development organization under the American National uh, Standards Institute. That ANSI accreditation was just from 2019. And this effort uh, is, is being done under the auspices of that, uh, of that ANSI rubric. Now that said, what we're, what we're putting out right now is a, is a standard that is a draft standard for trial use that's not yet an ANSI standard, but, uh, but that is our intention. And so anyway, those are sort of the four things we do where you know, we're a, we're, a, we're a, um, a membership organization, we're a trust framework, we're a network, and we're a standards body. Good. Very interesting. So we've got a lot of, you know, uh, obviously the interoperability rules are coming due um, this year. 
Uh, we've got transparency rules that the hospitals are dealing with. Even the No Surprises Act has lots of uh, transparency items and, and, and just, a, just a tremendous amount of uh, clinical and administrative data requirements, at least, to, to get those things moving. What, as a healthcare leader, where do you see all of these requirements and, and all the extra work that, 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 that groups like yours do to add value to, to this transmission of data uh, and, and meaningful use, if you will, right? Um, where do you think this is going to bring us? What, what, what's the end goal here? What, what's life going to look like in healthcare five, 10 years down the road? Well, we'd certainly like to think that this uh, that this effort that the um, between the work of the consortia that are uh, working in healthcare interoperability and the the industry at, at large and the and the ONC and CMS and the government in general um, that all of that will result in um, in improved interoperability and improved care. Um, now, the the challenge is or the risk is that. Um, that you know, a lot is spent and not a lot of value is 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 achieved. And so the the goal is to try and figure out how to make sure that we focus on things that have uh, have that will create that value for patients and that value for providers. Um, so um, I think what we're hoping is that uh, it'll be a lot easier for providers to get the information they need to care for patients. That care coordination will be a lot easier that uh, the amount of information that's communicated by fax will uh, drop to, to near zero, and that instead you'll be communicating electronically some way or another. Um, even if you're, you're, um, you're getting into the workflow with fax traffic even, I mean, all of those things, trying to get into the workflow of users, of providers, and make that easy to use. That's, I think, the key uh, goal we would like to have. Now, whether we achieve that in five uh, or 10 years, uh, whether we can actually make an interoperable uh, ecosystem that is um, that makes it possible for data to go where it needs to go when it needs to get there, uh, that all that depends on, uh, on on how people respond to the, the rules. Um, I think they also the challenge, of course, is that the regulat regulations taken in total, okay, for the uh, for the industry for an any given player, the the payer, the electronic health record system, the provider organization, if you make a list of the things that they've got to go do, sometimes the regulatory stuff is the first, thing, well, it is always the first thing they're going to go focus on. And as a consequence, a lot of things that they believe could have really improved care or really could have improved processes may not get done because they have to focus on the regulations first. So again, in the un unintended consequences department, when you uh, when you load up the uh, the industry with a lot to do, uh, that's a zero sum game with something else they might uh, have in mind to do. Good, interesting. So I'm actually hearing two things. The first is that um, just because the government has set up all these requirements that that requires a certain flow of data, um, that doesn't mean it's going to be done efficiently, efficiently or well. So it's not uh, it's not the case that you just snap your fingers, write a rule. And suddenly, it's all going to happen. Even if you've got strong enforcement mechanisms, is that is that fair statement? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. That the um, each rule focuses on something. Okay, I mean, like so. Um, uh, for instance, the rule that required direct messaging focused on sending direct messaging. Everybody had to be able to receive a basic direct message, but they had no obligations around what they did with the data when they got it. Okay, <laughs> or right, almost right. almost nothing. Um, so. Um, 
if you look instead at the at the um, information blocking rule that focuses on the patient's right to access through an API, through the this um, through a Fire API that is expected to make it very easy for patients to get data through smartphone applications. That's very cool, uh, but it focuses very much on that particular use case. And so provider organizations are going to deploy what they need to do to get that done. And something else that might be done by Fire probably won't get built because they won't have time. <laughs> so it's it's going to give them focus uh, on the things that the government thought were most important, but that will mean that other things that they wanted to do that that, that the government would also like to see happen won't necessarily happen uh, anytime soon because they'll be too busy. Right, right. So much to get done. Uh, certainly, I think the hospitals are feeling it uh, this year. Yeah. So th this has been a great conversation with Scott Stewie, uh, President and CEO of Direct Trust. And uh, Scott, with regard to uh, everything we've talked to here and, and your announcement, uh, any resources you'd like to direct the listeners to? Well, so our Sorry. website on directtrust.org has uh, lots of things that you can find. You can find the, right. uh, yeah. the information about the uh, event notifications uh, right from our right from our main website, you'll find a link to uh, to a, to the announcement and to the um, and to the page. The event notifications via the direct standard will uh, will be what you're looking for. So that event notifications IG is there as well as the folks who have participated in this exercise and those who've uh, who've committed to implementing it. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, thank you, Scott. Appreciate you uh, being with us today and everything you just said. We'll, we'll have a link to that uh, implementation guide on the description of this podcast. Appreciate uh, you spending time with us today, Scott. It was very nice to meet you. Take care of yourselves. Thank you, too. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe. <laughs>